0: Uh, without any further delay, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll be glad to put one in your hand. It should be marked. It should be marked with Proverbs chapter 12 already. We'll finish the 12th chapter tonight. Moving right along. So we, uh, we read up, to, we finished through verse 18. Um, and we'll finish uh, verses 19 through 28, but it uh, might be good by way of review because of kind of a, the focus of this, uh, th- this last uh, portion of Proverbs to reread verse 18. So I will, and we'll just kind of look at um, these in sections as we've been doing. I'll just read verses 18 through 22 to start with, and then we'll work our way through. Starting with verse 18, and again, we covered this last week, but it's just kind of bridging the gap between the two studies. Uh, starting verse 18, there is one who speaks... Like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. The truthful lips shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace, uh, but counselors of peace have joy. No grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked shall be filled with evil. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord those who deal truthfully are his delight. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful once again to gather here tonight. Lord, just to be refreshed by your word, Uh, already the time of worship, just to stop and sing to you. Lord, we know that you love when your people sing praises for all eternity, we'll be singing to you. For all eternity, Lord, we'll be uh, in the presence of the living word, Jesus himself. We pray, Lord, that uh, tonight as we open your word, as you are in our midst, you would speak. I have nothing, Lord, to offer, but you, by your wisdom, by your truth, by the revelation of Jesus Christ, Lord, and by the work of your spirit, you desire to speak to each and every one of us. Lord, strengthen us, encourage us. Uh, Lord, give each person what they need. And again, as we often pray, Lord, that you would remove any distractions, anything the enemy would sow in this place, you'd remove it, that we would hear clearly from you, It's in your name we pray. Amen. In uh, Psalm 37, verse 23, it says, The steps of a good man or woman are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Now, that's little his or little her way, so uh, God orders our steps. But as we walk in those steps, God delights in our steps. Psalm 18, 19, it says, He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Now, God loved us enough to die for us, but once we have come to faith, uh, he really then puts his arms around us because now we've been adopted into the family. You know, it's, one you, it's one thing for you and I to uh, maybe have a love for people. And maybe, you know, you've seen these stories where someone had, a, you know, they, they, they knew someone and they already had a love for them, but then they adopted them. And then the whole ball game changes. God delights in us as the sons and daughters of God. And he delights when we walk in his way. And on the one hand, God has a whole lot to teach us as we walk in this way. Wouldn't you agree? God has a whole lot to teach us. I saw a quote um, uh, I think it's John Piper God's probably doing 10,000 things in our life and we know about three of them I think that's a good, accurate way of looking at it God's doing a lot enough that we're not even aware of but he has a whole lot to teach us and, and I'll admit, while God is teaching us some of that can be very uncomfortable at times, can't it? a lot of what God teaches us is not easy to go through Very uncomfortable things. But make no mistake that everything God is doing in our life is based on his love for us. Everything he's doing in our life is based on his love for us. The fact that he delights in us, which is really kind of hard to understand, but nevertheless, the fact that he delights in us and desires to use us is something we have to understand is far more than we actually can comprehend the amount he delights in us, as well as how much he wants to do in our lives. But of all the things that God has planned and in store for us, nothing is more pleasing to the Lord than as we walk in the Lord, as we grow, we become that salt and that light that he saved us and delivered us to be. That's what he's called us to be. He's not just called us just to be uh, in his arms, although that is part of it. We need to be in his arms. But he also has called us to be salt and light in this world. And God delights in that when we become that. Jesus said, and how do we know that that's the case? Well, Jesus said it. Matthew 5, 14. He said to his followers, you are the light of the world. He said that to them. I mean, they uh, they didn't feel like the light of the world. It's kind of like the moon. The moon does not light up the sky. It's the sun hitting the moon, which then is that reflection. The moon doesn't have any light-giving power. But Jesus said, I'm going to put you like the moon in the world where you'll receive the light of the sun and you'll reflect. So you'll be the light, uh, albeit a mirror. But he says, you are the light of the world, and a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. God said, I want you to walk in this way. I want to delight in the way that you walk but I want you to be a light. It's the will of the Father, it's the delight of the Father that we reflect the light and truth of his Son in this world. And it's that daily work of surrender and obedience. Hear that again. It's that daily work of surrender and obedience. We don't like daily, do we? No matter how long you're alive, you're going to have to brush your teeth every day. And I hope you do. And your family hopes you do no matter how long you're alive, there's a lot of things you're going to have to do every day. I hope you shower every day. I hope that you take good care of yourself and you get exercise and you have to drink water every day and all these things. But but daily, as we have this work of surrender in our life and obedience, God will bless that in our life. We daily learn to surrender. And he'll bless in our lives, flaws and all. And God didn't say, you hear me say, if you've probably heard me say this a thousand times, I'll say it forever. Never when we get to heaven will we say, well done, good and perfect servant. It's good and faithful. Because he understands faithful servants still have flaws. You can be a faithful spouse. Hopefully everyone here is a faithful man to his wife, faithful wife to her husband, but you still have flaws. You can call someone faithful and still have flaws. But God works those flaws out. He blesses this walk in our life. And if we continue to yield to him, he'll bring us peace say, well, I could use more peace. Who couldn't? He'll bring more peace. But if it comes with daily yielding. He'll bring more life. You say, well, I'm already alive. Well, there's a life that's deeper that God wants us to tap into. And then, not just for us, but he will use us to bring healing to others. Because There's a whole lot of other people out, outside these four walls that are really hurting. Inside these four walls, there's people, I'm sure, that are hurting. But outside these four walls, there's more. In these last 10 verses, they really underscore how much God delights in a righteous life. God loves a righteous life. Not because we can make ourselves righteous, but as we yield to him, he makes a righteous life, but he delights in doing that work. But he also delights in providing the protection we need and also that life becoming a positive impact as a righteous life, to the world around us. I hadn't done a poem in a while. And this is really short, by the way. I hadn't done a poem. I would call it more of a rhyme. I hadn't done a poem in quite a while, but this phrase came into my mind. As I was studying this passage, I wasn't trying to write anything. I just, as I was studying this passage, this phrase little popped into my mind, so I'll share it with you. When his delight becomes our delight, we'll put the enemy to flight and we'll see many wrongs made right." Now, I can actually teach the doctrinal proof of every, every sentence in that little phrase. I wasn't trying to think of it, just popped into my head. Sometimes I rhyme, and I don't know why. Maybe I should have been a rapper, I don't know. <laughs> there is a place for that. I don't look like a rapper, I don't think. <laughs> but you never know. You know that, that could be part of the shtick, right? That He looks nothing like a rapper. I'll have to ask my wife later if that's a good idea or not. But think about it. When his delights, we know what God delights in. God delights in purity, holiness. We know the things God delights in. But when his delight becomes our delight, see, God wants our thinking to come in line with his thinking. When, when his delight becomes our delight, we'll see vi- putting the enemy in flight is victory. Think about the life of Jesus. He personified each of these things, didn't he? He delighted in the will of the Father, right? God delighted in him. This is my son in whom I believe, well, pleased. God delighted in him. Jesus delighted in the will of the Father. Did Jesus put Satan to flight? You better believe he did. First in the 40 days, but then his whole ministry, and finally with the work of the cross and the resurrection. So he put Satan to flight. And then, lastly, did Jesus make a whole lot of wrongs right? Well, of course. So we're following in his footsteps in this respect. Um, you think about the, uh, the often called the Good Samaritan. You have three people walk by a man that's laying there on the ground. The enemy's telling all three of them, pay him no attention. Because Satan doesn't care about anybody. He wants people to, to be, just die and be destroyed. Uh, two of them listen to Satan. Why? Because they didn't delight in the Lord. Because God loves people, and if we have the same heart of God, we'll love people. But, but then comes this Samaritan. He delighted the Lord. The Lord delighted in him. He ignores the flesh or what the enemy would say, and he actually makes some wrongs right, doesn't he? He makes a whole lot of wrongs right. You leave a person there that's been uh, a victim of crime, they can die, but he made those wrongs right. And so God wants to do this work in our life. To put this in another way, how about list form? Any of you guys, list makers, you should write, be right up your alley. You like lists? Here you go. His delight in us produces one... Real joy in life. Two. Real victory and protection. Now, there's a lot of pe- everybody loves to win in America, you know. Win based on pride and stuff. But this is this isn't this is a different kind of. This is victory over our own flesh. This is victory over the course of this world that we studied on Sunday. Remember in Ephesians chapter two. There's a course of this world. There's a victory over that that God wants to bring. But also protection. Wouldn't you say it's a dangerous world we live in? But we also need protection from ourselves. We can harm ourselves, can't we? We make bad decisions. But when, we de- when he delights in us and we delight in him, we'll see this real victory and protection. And lastly, we'll see real impact and healing because whom the Lord has transformed then becomes like the apostles sent out to bring living water to other people. That's what we do. Do we believe this? Do we believe that these things are true? Do we want, and this is a question we have to ask, do we want to really love and delight in the Lord? That's a question we have to really ask. Do we want to love and delight in the Lord? Or do we just want to go through relig- religious checkboxes? Because you can go through a whole lifetime religious checkbox and never love God and never delight in the Lord. And there's thousands of people, millions that go to church that do not delight in the Lord and they have no real care for the things of the Lord. And I'm not saying that to, to beat them up. I'm saying that the reality is Jesus said this. Many will say to him, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. So going to church and things like that, you know, God wants us to love and delight in his ways. And if we do, here's the good news, he'll delight in us. He'll transform every area of our life. Now let's go back and look at verse 18 for just a second um, just by quick review, remember we, we finished off with the 18th verse last week, and by way of quick review, uh, if you look at verse 18, it says, the tongue of the wise promotes health. Uh, the tongue of the wise imparts health. And uh, My tongue and your tongue can't heal anybody, but activated by the Lord, it's really used in a powerful way. We'll look a little, a little bit more at this at, at another verse, particularly verse 25, but um, That being the case, uh, if you look at um, the fact that God wants us to bring encouragement, he wants us to bring hope, he wants us to bring well-being to other people. And how do we do that? Well, it's when we're interacting. It's just in the course of life that we would actually uh, come to the place that our, our spirit is in tune with the Lord, that our tongue is regularly just bringing health Instead of strife, instead of discouragement, instead of beating people up with the tongue, which is uh, an American sport now. But the continuation here in verse uh, 20, I don't want to spend, uh, or actually verses 19 first. Uh, verse 19 is a continuation. It says the truthful lip shall be established forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. On in verse 20, uh, this this kind of the connection, thread here the tongue. Uh, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. Now looking at verse 19, um, we know, but the tongue of the wise is truthful. That would make sense. I mean, one characteristic of God should be matched up with another characteristic of God. So the tongue not only uh, brings encouragement and health, but it also is a truthful tongue. Now, God's transformation of our tongue is always intended to be complete. Now, you might say, it's not completed yet. True. But it's more complete than it was when you first got saved. Or it should be. You should be able to look back and say, my tongue, God's been doing surgery on it for quite some time. And it's getting more and more. I don't know. how You ever seen this? Doctors have come in and they've done, uh, like as a donation. They say they've done 36 surgeries on this child from a, a deformed face from another country. And they and still got 10 more to go. That's like our tongue. God's done a lot of surgeries on it. And there's more to go. But it actually is becoming more and more like the Lord. Because God wants to complete that word. God wants to reorient the way we use the tongue to reflect his character. Now, James talks about the tongue as a big problem. It's unruly. It's hard. It said men, men can control all kinds of tame wild beasts, but they can't tame the tongue. But the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit really comes in, and we talked about this again on Sunday, being made alive by the Lord, God begins to reorient our mind and our hearts by the Spirit and reorients the tongue. He starts to look and sound like the Lord. Now, think about it like this. Here's four things that would reflect, it's not the only four things, but here's four things that would definitely reflect the nature of our tongue the way we were before the Holy Spirit came in. The tongue is really good at slander, lying, flattery, and then on the bottom one, what do I have there? Oh. Anyway, cursing, Yes. It's been so long since I'm cursing, I forgot what I put on there. So, uh, and I used to curse a lot. How about some of y'all? I was listening to uh, uh, Pastor Doug down at Calvary Fort Lauderdale on Sunday. He was talking about he had a big problem with cursing when he first got saved. And so did I. I thought that that was the way you bridged almost every sentence on the basketball court when I played sports. <laughs> you had to have, It's like a but and, an and or something like that. You, know, you just had to throw that in there. But that was the nature of our tongue lying It's not like, in people that lie, it's not like they go around and say, I am a liar. They just think it's just shading the truth on this, that, and the other. It's very natural. And it's just, it's the way that you're never going to get ahead if you tell everybody the truth, right? Slander. And again, flattery is a big one. I mean, Jesus never flattered people. Flattery is always, there's something in it for you. Flattery is not really... Loving the person. Flattery is, this is just a means to an end. But these are the kind of the natural things that the tongue is predisposed to do before Christ comes into our life. And then you can see here's four different things, the new nature of the tongue. Building up. Now, I'm speaking of the opposite of slander. Each of these are the opposite, which you saw on the, on the previous chart. Building up in the sense that if the person's not around, instead of slandering them, you say, man, I really love what God's doing in their life. Versus, I have a prayer request about them. (laughs) Which is just a different form of gossip, right? I'd like to put in a prayer request about so-and-so. Instead of saying, I really love what God is doing in their life. They might have a prayer request about you and I too, so be careful. (laughs) It works both ways. Blessing. You know, instead of cursing God, we stop cursing and we learn to start praising and blessing the Lord. I'm not talking about, I'm going to bless you out. That's not what I'm talking about (laughs) there. we have encouragement, which is really using your tongue, truly not to flatter someone, but really, really to speak into their life and say, there's a big difference. And ask the Lord to show you which is which, because he'll show us which is which. That's still flattery. Encouragement, there's nothing in it for you. It's really about them. It's really about uh, adding to their life. And then lastly, truth. Um, We want to be careful Hey, your outfit looks horrible, you know, whatever, you know. Uh, truth is done in such a way that, again, it reflects the character and nature of God, that, that we're not lying to get ahead, that we're not uh, just kind of, it's okay, and we need to learn to take responsibility say, I dropped the ball, instead of always coming up with something that, well, this happened, this happened, you know, just say, look, I really dropped the ball on this. Love covers a multitude of sins. So these are the things that uh, that God does with the tongue that are not natural. This is a supernatural work. This is the new nature that God births uh, within us. Now, when he um, begins to change uh, the use of our mouth, he establishes in our lives deeper roots, our maturity grows... And it's not just now, but he goes on to say, the truthful lips are established forever. There's a, this is a uh, a work that God's doing us in today, uh, but God says in the future you'll never have to worry about any of these things again. You'll never be untruthful in heaven. You'll never slander ever again. In the future, your establishment now, as the roots grow deeper, God's doing surgery on our tongue on a regular basis, and we're getting more and more like the Lord. But when we get to eternity. They're established. We'll never have to worry about that issue ever again. Let's look at verse um, 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. Our flesh, if it's not been changed by God or isn't changed by God, will always be looking out for number one. God doesn't change our flesh, deep down we'll always think only about me, myself, and I. That being the case, deceiving people and taking advantage of people can always be rationalized. And boy, isn't it rationalized in the world. It's rationalized by political people. It's rationalized by people in the entertainment business. It's rationalized by uh, all kinds, of family members, you name it. Notice a person can go from lying, which is kind of that natural state. We're all born uh, with that propensity to lie. We can go from that state to not just lying, but it says here in verse 20, devising evil. I don't know about you, but that seems like another step down, doesn't it? I mean, it's one thing if someone lies, hey, where are you at last night? They tell you a lie. It's quite a different thing if they're devising a plan to rob homes, right? So, in other words, sin, if God doesn't intervene, just gets worse. We go from just having a sinful nature to creating schemes. That's why we see how elaborate sin is in the world. You can go from just lying to devising evil, deceitful schemes, lies and schemes that ruin people's lives. You guys remember, and I, I don't even want to use his name, but it's the only way you can, can remember kind of the story, because it was big national news. Remember when Bernie Madoff was in the news? That Ponzi scheme? I, I know a gentleman in Florida that lost tons because of that scheme. Per, I personally have met him, lost, changed, you know, he had to move out of his house, everything, and there's a lot of people were affected by that. That was a very elaborate scheme and it it tricked some really smart people with a lot of education. It wasn't just lying. It was an evil scheme. But when we delight on the Lord, when we who delight in the Lord, we who are by the Spirit are compelled to use our mouths and our minds to help people, not to deceive people. Look what it says about When God does this work in us, we use our minds and our mouths to reflect, Lord, we're called, but counselors of peace have joy. How about that for a title? Counselors of peace. Christian, are you a counselor of peace? Well, I'm not in the counseling business. Doesn't matter. If you're saved, you're called to be a counselor of peace. That's a great title, isn't it? Has the wonderful counselor made you a counselor? That's one of Jesus' names, you know, right? Book of Isaiah. Name should be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of what? Peace. And it makes perfect sense. If Jesus is the wonderful counselor and he's the prince of peace, then he's commissioned us As he said in Matthew 14, to be the light of the world, he's commissioned us to be ambassadors of his peace. Right? Wonderful counselor, prince of peace. He says, now I am commissioning you, the great commission. Right? Before he goes back into heaven, go ye into all the world, preach the gospel of every living creature. Be ambassadors of this peace. We're to be his representatives of his heart and his word in this world. We're not trying to deceive anymore. We shouldn't be. I mean, we have a thought will pop in our head. but the Holy Spirit will say, no, no, that's not who you are anymore. We're not trying to deceive. We're not trying to acquire. Now, if God gives you something great, you're to work hard, you're to work well, but to become, an, I just want to acquire, acquire, acquire. That's not our calling once we come to Christ, which is a big snare to people. That's why they... The covetousness and everything caused them to start lying and deceiving again. We're not called to gain at other people's expense. No, we're to be bringing peace. Now, why are we to be bringing peace? Or maybe you could say, how do we bring peace? Why and how? They kind of go together. Well, we're bringing peace, number one, because we now have peace. You cannot bring what God hasn't done for you. We can bring peace because we've experienced it. Someone can tell me all day long, well, I don't believe in born-again experience. I don't, so I don't care. Well, I do care, but I'm telling you that even if I can't convince you the Scriptures, I have experienced Christ in me, the hope of glory. So certainly we care, but at the end of the day, we have peace, so then we can bring that peace. Number two, we're told to be his ambassadors. We're told to bring his peace. So we have a a command to do so. We're to bring peace to a world that has no peace. And number three, because we have, it says, counselors of peace have what? Joy. Because we have joy, here's the great cycle. Some things have a vicious cycle. God's has an effervescent cycle. Glorious cycle, because we have joy. Bringing peace to other peace people brings us more joy. When you really start living for the Lord, and then by Him reaching out to other people, it brings more joy than you'll ever find. Just feeding—imagine if you ate fifty-six Hershey bars tonight. Go home, try it. Tell me how it works out. Right? No, don't do that. Really. He'll be in cardiac arrest or something like that. (laughs) After a while, just constantly feeding ourselves is a miserable thing. You will feel miserable well before the 56 Hershey bar, well before that number. But spiritually speaking, many Christians, instead of being counselors of joy, they're not bringing joy to anybody, or counselors of peace, not bringing peace to anybody, thereby they're not experiencing any joy eating more and more, and I don't know why I feel so bad, because we're called to give these things out. It'll bring us far more joy than deception ever did before salvation, far more than attainment ever did, and far more than building our little empires. Everyone wants a little empire. doesn't matter if they're billionaires or, you know, you go to your work and someone's cube is their little empire. That ain't going near my desk. Nobody. I got it just exactly right, you know. Look at verse 21. No grave trouble will overtake the righteous, but the wicked shall be filled with evil. As we follow the Lord, uh, we'll certainly, you might say, Well, hold on, that just said, no grave trouble overtake the righteous. Well, the key word is overtake. Overtake. And say grave troubles won't encounter. You will have some storms. Well, I'll have some storms. We'll certainly encounter troubles, but they won't overtake us. Jesus said, fear not, I have overcome the world. So he's telling us to know that we can rest. That's why Jesus, remember in the storm, he's sound asleep in the boat. Everybody else is freaking out because he knew the storm wouldn't overtake him, but he still had to go through the storms as an as a example to the disciples. The Lord himself will carry us through as we depend on him. So the, the act of getting through storms is our dependence on the Lord, and so they don't overtake us. We'll be pretty wet, right? You ever been, you ever been one of those where uh, the umbrella is pointless either? just to get from the house to the car. And the worst is you go to open the door and it's not opening right. You know, some of those will flip the umbrella. It doesn't matter. You'll get wet. But again, you're not blown away and destroyed. You're just pretty wet in the process. But not only no grave trouble, but think about this, no gravestone will overtake us either. We're going to finish with that at the end of this chapter. A life of wickedness... Or even just a life where you're just kind of the Lord of your life. say, well, I don't live a particularly wicked life. I just kind of do my own thing. Because a lot of people don't live what we would call a wicked life. I mean, they try and be good citizens. They try and be a good neighbor. But if they're honest with themselves and God, they're still Lord of their own life. Whether it's wickedness or just Lord of your own life, the course of this, what I would call course of this world living, we looked at that on Sunday. uh, Some people do seem to avoid some of the big trials by just kind of ignoring God. And even the psalmist observed that. Psalm 73. They, Why? Their life seems so much easier than mine. You ever feel that way? I, I've felt that way at times. But the sad part is their heart's becoming harder the longer they stay away from the Lord. And colder and more filled with sin. That's not a good place to be. I mean, God can thankfully break through all of that but it makes it that much more difficult to hear the voice of the Lord. Personally, I'm glad I've never been made rich or famous. Jesus said it was a, it's a big-time snare. Very hard for a rich man. You, know, well, you have it all. The rich young ruler, could, he believed Jesus was the real deal, but he could not let go. I'm glad the Lord's never made me rich and famous. It's a, it's a snare. Um, having our needs met but not all all of our wants is actually a good thing. I'll say that again. Having our needs met, but not all of our wants is actually a good thing. If you get all your wants, your desire for God can really fade. Proverbs 30, verse 8 and 9, we've got a ways to go before we get there, but it says, Remove falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. And say... Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of our God. So, uh, God, don't give me too much. Don't give me too little. Help me to be satisfied when you say no. And that obedience and surrender and submission in our life conforms us more and more to his plan and his delight. We ride the storms of life with the Lord, but as we ride those storms out, be content. We need to grow in His grace, in His provision. His provision may not always be what we want, but it'll be the provision. Let's look at verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination, Lord, but those who deal truthfully are His delight. And you see where I got the title of uh, our time in the Word tonight, His delight, verse 22 there. Uh, we've said plenty about God's love of truth and His warning towards uh, dishonesty, but here it's expressly stated that God delights in those who are truthful. You want God delighting you? Be truthful. He loves a truthful tongue. And the more we look at, you know, we realize that not always as truthful, Lord, as I want to be, I need to be. He delights in a truthful person, a truthful tongue. And what a promise and incentive here! Those who deal in, uh, deal truthfully are His delight. That's a great. Thing to know that God will delight in us by saying, Lord, I just want to continually be honest, continually tell the truth. Help me, Holy Spirit, to be truthful, and God delights in that, and He'll bless that in our life. It's a promise we have here. And as we become more truthful and, and we continue to die to the urge uh, of covering and lying and things of that nature, uh, His blessing will grow in our life. Then we're starting to trust God, not our way of figuring shortcuts. It's usually what lies are, right? It's just, uh, I'll help God out. But he doesn't delight in that. So we want to see here that lying lips are an abomination uh, to the Lord. God hates, um, you know, we see that our society is becoming more and more dishonest. You've seen the articles, I think it was a time that yeah, line in America is an article several years back, and it's just become so commonplace. But we need to be set apart, we need to be different, and God will bless that in our life. But he'll also use it, people will notice our honesty. Let's look at the next verse, verse 23. A prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims foolishness. The prudent man conceals knowledge. Uh, the wise don't have to be the smartest person in the room. Isn't that nice? You can rest now. I don't have to be the smartest person in the room. And usually we're not anyway. The wise don't have to share every single thing they know. You ever get around someone like this? You start running the other direction before they get close by. We don't have to share uh, as we grow in Lord. we don't have to share every single thing we know. Uh, the wise, they know that what is most worth sharing is from the Lord and from His word and even that has to be guided by the Spirit. Just because it's from the Lord and from the word doesn't mean it has to be shared at every moment. That makes sense? Thus saith the Lord in the book of Jeremiah, right? <laughs> Everyone at the table is like, whoa, whoa, what just happened here? What we know, even if it's from the Lord in the Word, still has to be guided. We need to have the sensitivity to the Spirit. And as we grow and mature in the Lord, this does happen. I I was definitely more of a bull in a china shop 10 years ago than I am today in that respect. And I look forward to where I'll be 10 years from now, and I hope you do too. Where you'll be more and more uh, wise about every word counts, every word matters, and some words are best left unsaid. Sometimes the Spirit will tell you that's true, but it's not necessary, and definitely not necessary right now. The Spirit will tell us that. You want to blurt something out? The Spirit says, "Not right now. Bad timing." not going to work well here. It's not even going to be helpful. It's not going to encourage. It's not going to do anything. So the Spirit will say, now the interesting thing is sometimes the Spirit will say, later I'm going to have you say that. But it's going to be in a totally different setting. It could be weeks later, days later, hours later, years later. Later there may be an appropriate time, but the wise sometimes says, conceal that for now. That's not for this moment. That's why we have to walk in the Spirit, amen? Because the Spirit will knock on our heart because otherwise I mean, we just say, well, if it says it, I should say it at all times. Not necessarily. Um, This may have to do with a time consideration where people see that you love them enough to understand. I remember when we were were down uh, witnessing to kids at VCU at the university, and I I would ask students when I would talk to them about the Lord, I'd say, are you on your way to a class right now? And if they would say, no, I'm not, a second question would say, how much time do you have between your next class? Because I want to be very considerate of your time. When I would do that, it disarms a lot of things. They say, well, actually, I have 15 minutes. Okay, that's all we're going to take because I want to be very, you you have a class to get to, and that's an important thing, and I'm not trying to get in the way of that. But can I ask you a couple of questions? Do you have the time? They say, yes. They say, you know, I'm already late to my class. Let them go right? It's not our job to say, well, this is true, and it's 10 times more important than your biology cast. That is true, but you're not going to get anywhere with that. Again, just one of those things that over time, Holy Spirit wants to teach us. Um, There may be a bigger need than what we want to say. Maybe a much bigger need that we want to say. And the Lord says, that's not even close to the biggest need, so be quiet on that. Someone else is going to bring it up, and it's going to be the bigger need here, not what, not what is on our mind, or some other reason that the Holy Spirit would show us. Now, I'll say this. Um, as someone who teaches, I teach on Sundays, I teach on Wednesdays, I facilitate our men's Bible study on Fridays. I've uh, been teaching for over uh, 10 years as a pastor, longer than that in other... Christian capacities, um, frankly, I've been called to share, called to teach, called to lead discussions, and I'm going to say this, more than I actually want to. Some people might say, you pastors, you just want to talk about, I can promise you most of us, if God raised up six clones, we would put them up there, like not look like but but that, that would preach the word and truth, we'd be glad to sit down and let someone else do the talking, believe it or not. Um, one of the ways you know the Lord is guiding you to speak is when you really don't want to. When you really don't want to say something, that's often when God really is saying, now I need you to say it. Because if you don't want to say it, and that's, that's not an every single time thing, so be careful with that. But that is very commonplace, and I'm, my experience over the years is that when I don't want to say something, God said, I need you to say I need you. It could be a word of encouragement, or it could be, say, hey, have you thought about this? That kind of thing. This verse is not saying that we say nothing. uh, Not at all. Um, I personally love, when we're in Bible study, I love when others speak. We need to hear from each other. We need to be involved and hear other people speak, other people's insights. Nobody should dominate conversations. There should be mutual participation. A marriage is no fun if one person does all the talking. So the other person needs to engage. This is usually men. They, they, they're going to have to like uh, engage. It's not always the case. It's, there's differences. But again, knowing when to speak, when not to speak, but it's not saying not to speak at all. We need to be Uh, using our tongue just in a good way. And again, per Hebrews, just as some should speak less, others, Hebrews said, should already be teachers by now. So some people really should be speaking more than they are because God says, look, I've, I've called you to share. I've called you to speak. I've called you to get involved. And those that do, they'll do it in a humble way. They'll probably be reluctant, but they'll yield And say, yes, Lord, I'll use the gifts and talents you've given me and just uh, just guide me. Now, someone who thinks highly of their intellect, someone thinks really a whole lot about themselves, about their knowledge, uh, about their understanding, they like to hear themselves talk. We've been in these settings too, right? Um, They really don't need anyone else to be there. They can still do the talking. And they're going to talk even if nobody wants them to talk. That's with the second part. But the fool proclaims his foolishness. You ever been trapped in one of these conversations? And you really did need to get somewhere. And you're thinking the whole time they're talking, what's my escape route? Uh, did I tell the kids I'd be home? Did I do this? You know, what, 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 what do I got here? You run into them at the Walmart, right? Trapped. They're, te- they're going on and on about their recent accomplishments, their wisdom. My kid did this. My kid did that. Your kid, what did your kid ever do anything? And back to you again. You know, that kind of thing. Success and everything else. You're like, I really, I really do have to be somewhere. I mean, I'm not making this up. We don't want to lie. But uh, God doesn't want us to be like that. We'll really turn off the world if that's who we are. Amen. Last few verses, look at verse 24. I'll uh, I'll actually put verse 24 and 27 together. We'll skip over 25 and 26 for just a second. Uh, The hand of the diligent will rule, but the lazy man will be put to forced labor. And drop down to verse 27 because it's also about laziness. The lazy man does not roast what he took in hunting, but diligence is man's precious possession. There you go, you hunters. You may feel great about that verse. Just make sure you cook whatever you catch according to the Bible here. So... um, Those that serve the Lord will not be lazy. If you and I serve the Lord, we won't be lazy. We may have some lazy moments, but it can't be, it won't be the pattern of our life. Do we understand the difference? Everyone in this room has had some lazy moments. Raise your hand if you've never had a lazy moment. Good, no liars either. Good, that's excellent. We've all had lazy moments, but that doesn't mean that the pattern of our life is laziness. And the longer we're saved, the Lord, we're called to be servants. Now, you you know servants in the the Roman time were not lazy. (laughs) You wouldn't really live long if you were lazy as a servant. So we're not called to be lazy. We won't be lazy. We'll have those times. And sure, we'll feel like being lazy at times. We all feel like being lazy at times. And by the way, Taking time to rest is not lazy. I can't remember who said it. It might have been Spurgeon, but um, I can't remember which father of the faith said it. But he said one of the most spiritual things you can do sometimes is rest. That's not laziness. There's times where I have to rest or I'll never be any good the next week. How about you? Six days shall a man work and the seventh day what? Rest. We need rest. There's a difference between rest. Uh, Some people never rest. They're workaholics and they're going to die of a heart attack by the time they're 60. That's not smart. Remember, wisdom's important, but hard work is important, but there's, God has a balance to all these things, right? So it's not wrong to rest, but we're not called to be lazy. In those times when we have a lazy spirit, the Holy Spirit will tell us which is which. No, that's not resting. That's just a lazy spirit. And he'll convict us, and he'll prompt us, and hopefully we'll be listening. I think the modern American landscape of what I'd call the modern American church culture that we have today gives a propensity to drift into spiritual laziness due to the growing Christian consumerism that we have. And I think it's easier than ever to deceive ourselves that we're not lazy, when in fact we are, because we're just being pandered to by Christianese culture. And you can still have the illusion of doing something but it's not necessarily and sometimes not at all what Christ has asked us to do. Does that make sense? You have the illusion of doing something, but it's not actually what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, I want you over here serving the vineyard, and you're over here juggling. Right? Uh, I don't normally reference Christian satire, but I to, the other day, the Babylon Bee had one that cracked me up. Now it, It's sad, but also funny. But it was the article, I'm just paraphrasing, says uh, Christian man, local Christian man realizes everything he feels led to do, he actually likes. It says, and I'll give an example, it said in the the article, I'll give an example. It said, so and so felt led to participate in the Christian golf tournament, but when asked to help with visiting the detention home, and this uh, the, the dying seniors, he said, didn't feel led in this season of his life. <laughs> and how many times, have we as we Christians, heard again and again, I not in this season. And said, so he was further asked by the pastor and elders to participate in a men's discipleship program. But he said he just didn't have time in that season. But although the golf tournament, he felt it was a sign from God because he just bought a free, he just bought a new driver, so it had to be a sign from the Lord, right? And so we have a different kind of spiritual laziness. They did another one a couple weeks ago. It said uh Christian family walks around megachurch for three hours before they realize that the mall was actually across the street. They thought they were in the mall, you know, that kind of thing. And so we, we today, this, this consumerism, we have to be careful because we think we're doing something. And Jesus says, but I've asked you to go into all the world. I've asked you to feed the poor to go and minister to the sick to reach the dying to touch the diseased well that's in this season i'm feeling more like the golf tournament right Isn't there a turkey shoot coming up or this that and the other you know that kind of thing and so these things and i'm not saying these things are wrong we sometimes the fun stuff is important but when that's all we're doing we're in a bad place aren't we so we have to be careful And where we live, but the principle here uh, is clear: that laziness, whether you're an unsaved person or a saved person, is never going to be rewarded by God. Laziness is going to be problematic, even for the unsaved person. They wonder why, you know, if they're going to be lazy, it's going to be hard to find a job. It's going to be hard to eat. It's going to be hard to provide for a family. So we know there's practical uh, inference here as well. Uh, We're running a long time. Last two verses we want to look at are these three, we'll look at them quickly here. Verse 25, and these are important ones as we come to a close. Verse 25, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Well, there's a lot of anxiety these days, isn't there? There's a lot of depression these days. I've done two workshops on it. I want to do another one, uh, another workshop for those of you that have come to the other ones, and this one will be more interactive where I want to kind of uh, uh, spin up some dialogue. And we talk through some of these things, and you can minister to one to another. i mean, not, not getting real personal, but just, again, we need to help and minister to one another. There is a lot of anxiety. There is a lot of uh, depression, and it's not new. Obviously, Solomon was writing about it, uh, but uh, I would say in the days in which we live, the pressure, more more and more. And it will, Jesus said, as the return of Christ comes, the world will get more and more compressed and more and more stress and more and more dangerous. And these things uh, will not go away, but we'll need the help of God in dealing with them. But in varying degrees, everyone deals with some levels of stress. Would we all agree with that? Everyone here deals with some levels of stress, Some levels of anxiety. Some of you say, well, I don't have much anxiety. Some of you say, well, mine's off the charts. This flower got my way. Sorry. Is that a flower? Whatever. That's my ADD kicking in. Sorry, just didn't ignore that. We deal with levels of fear. We deal with levels of discouragement. We deal, some uh, people really do have deep sadness that they're dealing with. And if these things aren't dealt with according to the Lord's guidance, they can be really destructive, can't they? They can put people in chains and bondage almost as bad as when they were unsaved, but in a different way, not necessarily sin, but just a darkness, a sadness, and a depth. But notice what's said here. I hope this encourages you big time. Notice what's said here in verse 25. Remember, Solomon was given... In spite of his flaws, he was the wisest man to ever live. And God gave him this little nugget that I hope is worth the price of admission tonight. Which it was zero, so hopefully it should be. (laughs) This little nugget, verse 25, but a good word makes it glad. A good word can turn everything around say that again. A good word. Solomon's not, he doesn't like, this is not hyperbole. This is from the Holy Spirit. A good word can turn everything around if it's received right. The heart receives it right. Not a long, what, notice what Solomon does. He, he does not say a really long vacation will make it glad. Doesn't say that. He does not say a better medicine will change the anxiety or depression. He does not say a promotion, a raise, a new job, a change of scenery, a new or better relationship, not even a glass of wine, or anything else that people do to find relief. No. He says a good word can make us glad. Now, where in the world can you and I find a good word that's good enough to impact our lives like this? Hmm. In the word from God is the only one who's good enough and great enough, and powerful enough that a word can actually bring peace. And that's Jesus. He is the word. The only place there's a word good enough to be this powerful. Isn't that good to know? Jesus said, "I am the Word. The good word, I believe, clearly, the magnification of it is in the word. A good word from God, a good word from God, can turn it all around. But it has to we have to be saying, Lord, I want to hear your voice. I'm going to get into your word and I'm going to receive it and respond to it. But brothers and sisters, we also play a role in this with one another. Wouldn't you agree? We play a role here. This is not just a good word from God, which is in the Word. But this is why we have to be involved in one another's lives. Proverbs 10:11. go back a couple chapters to the 10th verse. The 11th verse says, The mouth of righteousness is a well of life. We have to be involved in each other's lives. A good word, an encouraging word, a word from the word, a word of love that brings someone back to the word, is bringing them into the comfort that only Jesus... You know, if I say a word that encourages a person, at the end of the day, I can't really, when I walk away from that conversation, I I can't have any lasting impact. But if the Word was anointed from the Holy Spirit and they receive it as such and they get into the Word and the good Word of the Holy Spirit now is ministering to them, well, the Holy Spirit has no limitations. They can be asleep, God can change their dreams. They can be awake, God can talk to them. They can be driving the car, God can be ministering to them. And one word of good encouragement from us, turn them back. You ever heard people say, it's because of some hypocrite in the church, it's why I won't go to church. Well, the reverse can be true too. It's because someone ministered to me It's why I came back. If the one can be true, which I believe sometimes it is. It's a a lame excuse after a short period of time, but it can happen. Someone can step on your toes and you say, I'm never going back to church ever again. But the reverse is, what if someone put an arm around you and say, I believe God wants to deliver you. Can I pray with you? That's a good word. Turns them back to the word. Verse 26 don't have any more time to stay on that, but um, verse 26, the righteous should choose his friends carefully, for the way of the wicked leads them astray. Now this, related to the verse, the 20, this is related to verse 25 uh, in the sense that we need people in our lives, but we need the right people in our lives. We do need people in our lives. We need to love and reach out to all people. I don't care if they are the worst of the worst. We need to love and reach out to all people, regardless of their religion. If they hate God, don't love God, don't believe in God, whatever. We need to reach out. That's part of the Great Commission. But as it relates to growing, as it relates to being strengthened in our life and in the Lord and becoming disciples of the Lord, we need other disciples in our life. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I can tell you right now, I need other disciples in my life. What does this say? Iron sharpens iron. Iron doesn't sharpen... Cotton. Iron sharpens iron. You need people that love Jesus just like you. You need people that delight in the Lord just like you delight in the Lord. And on your bad days, they're actually got a right word and vice versa. It works. We need each other in our lives, but they have to be those that will really point us and strengthen us. And they really are encouraging. They're not flattering. They're encouraging. They're building up all the things we looked in the earlier verses. Hebrews 10 verses 24 through 25, and let us consider one another in order to stir up what? Love and good works. We could use more love and more good works in the body of Christ. Not not goofy stuff, not pointless stuff, more love, more good works, the works that Jesus has proclaimed. Not forsaking the assemblies of ourselves together, as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and even more so as you see the day approaching. You took the time to be here tonight, and God says, well done. Because you came, God says, you are doing exactly what I said. I want you to not let it go until I return. Matter of fact, do more of it. Build more relationships. Text each other more. Encourage each other more. Do the things that strengthen each other because your little family is not like the rest of the world. They're not listening to God. But as we're strengthened, then we can go minister to people who are hurting and dying. But well, we're not going to have much to give if we're not being strengthened ourselves, so choose our, choose our friends carefully. You know, I will go have lunch, and I, we're going to be talking about this next weeks and months. Our church has to get outside the four walls of here more and more and more. It's one thing, and you should go have lunch with unsafe people and just get to know them and say, hey, this is what God's doing in my life. But they can't become your new best pal either. There's a, there's, a, there's a difference. Those people are the disciples that strengthen you so you can go out and minister to those that don't know the Lord. And again, God will show the balance on that. Closing it out here in verse 28 because we're out of time. Verse 28, in the way of righteousness is life, in its pathway there is no death. Last verse, we finish here. In the way of righteousness is life. In John eleven twenty-six. 26 Jesus said this, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. These are Jesus' words, not mine. He says the next phrase too. He says, do you believe this? Jesus said, if you believe in me, you'll never die. In Job 19, verses 26 and 27, Job says, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see from myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Now, Job is saying the same thing. He's saying that even though my flesh is going to die, I'm transferred into the presence of God, and I'm looking at my Lord and Savior. The Christian won't know they've died because they didn't die. In other words, You could be dying physically. You could be in a horrible pain, chemo, treatment, whatever it may be. But the second your spirit departs, it's in the presence of the Lord. It's instantaneous. You, Jesus said, you'll never die. Is Jesus right or is he wrong? No, he said, if you believe me, you'll never die. That's why we saw in Ephesians 2, when we've been made alive, we don't go back to death ever again. We've been made alive. So our spirit is alive. And Paul said to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. We don't die. Yes, the body dies. But our spirit is very much alive. But a life lived apart from God, not not just the future and eternity life, a life lived apart from God never experiences life, not the way God intended. See, the life lived apart from God is always craving something else, always has an emptiness, always needs something, is never satisfied. But our life is based on real peace, and joy that's not based on feelings or on circumstances, because circumstance and feelings can be some rough patches. It's the life that's in Christ. It's flowing from the throne of God. And then there's no hope of eternal life. There's only the hope of judgment. So this is why the world has to grab every single thing they can out of life, as fleeting as it is, as Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, like grasping for the wind, right? you try trying to grasp the wind? Not catching much, right? There's only the hope of judgment. But as we talked about on Sunday, uh, our spirit, once alive, made alive, will thrive, never die again. Our bodies will die. Our bodies will fade. Our spirit will never experience that death. I want to close with, um, you guys remember the movie Braveheart, 1995? Mel Gibson Oh, no, no commentary on Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. So William Wallace, he says, Every man dies, not every man truly lives. Every man dies, not every man truly lives. The life lived and delighted in God, it definitely brings life today. Counselors of peace experience joy, not in heaven, now. There's rewards now. We'll experience life today. We have promised rewards, some which we're receiving now, some which are laid up as treasure in heaven. We have impact now. We can be the good Samaritan everywhere we go. Now, not in the future, now. And then we have the never-ending life of eternity. Amen? Let's close in prayer.